Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and I'm doing something a little different today. Because Doffit is my birthday. And you may be thinking that that's pretty self-serving, and you're not wrong. But I'm turning 30 today, and we've all lived through a global pandemic for the last year, so why not? I'm talking about my all-time favorites, and not just my favorites. I reached out and got some of your all-time favorites, so let's sit down. Let's talk about our all-timers. What made the list? And this isn't an exhaustive list. Like, originally, my plan was to do, like, 30 for 30. That's way too much talking, and I was trying to even come up with that and outline that, and it was just daunting, way too daunting of an idea. (laughs) So don't worry. It's it's definitely not 30 books that I'm talking about. I am 30 today. It is May 4th, which I think most people acknowledge as like Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. I personally not a big Star Wars fan. So instead, I celebrate as an Arrested Development fan, R.A.P. Jessica Walter. It's Cinco de Cuatro. That is what I acknowledge and celebrate today. <laughs> Let's talk about favorite books. And I don't know about you, but a lot of these were ones that I think looking back on them, they became favorites. Some of these I don't think were favorites. Like the minute I read the last sentence and closed the book, I wasn't like, well, I'm moving this to my favorite shelf on Goodreads. Some of them were. Uh, But the first one I'm going to talk about is not. And that is Fates and Furies by Lauren Roth. So the one sentence Goodreads synopsis reads, at age 22, Lotto and Matilde are tall, glamorous, madly in love and destined for greatness. A decade later, their marriage is still the envy of their friends. But with an electric thrill, we understand that things are even more complicated and remarkable than they have seemed. This is a complicated book. So it's a dual perspective on a marriage. And it's separated in two halves. So the first half is Fates and the second half is Furies. The first half, Fates, is from the husband Lotto's perspective. He is a successful playwright with his glamorous wife and his great marriage. And he has his way of looking at things. Like his whole section is very much embodied by the Fates in Greek mythology. Lotto has never for a second doubted that he is destined for greatness and that like you know he was very privileged and almost like a sense that he is owed this greatness and this legacy it's interesting to see the lens with which he views the world and views Matilde because when we get to her half of the story she is very different than the way that Lotto perceives her and we get her perspective on you know a lot of the events of their courtship like she brings in her side of the story and her side of the story is much more embodied by the furies like these vengeful spirits and I think in the way that yes I think for a lot of things she has been in control but she is fine playing this part and being this type of wife to Lotto because she knows it allows her to have this life she wants to have and she has honestly like chosen Lotto because he can provide this life for her and she is fine with it. It's just a very, very dense, interesting story. And I mean, this isn't news. It was like the biggest book of the year when it came out like five or six years ago. So (laughs) I'm not picking something that no one has heard of. Um, But it's a book like I still think about 
to this day. And I want to reread and really put more emphasis because I know there's a lot of like literary Easter eggs that I just, I don't want to say I didn't have time for them the first time I went through, but I was just so interested in this plot and I like wanted to know what was going on that I didn't like stop and look things up and like dig into it at all. So this was, this is one that I think for me is definitely demanding a reread. Now I'm going to read some of the comments. There was a ton of comments on the post where I asked for people's all-time favorites. So I will do a few in between each book. So at Mr. M Reads says, I'll always sing the praises of Cold Moon Over Babylon by Michael McDowell. Something about that Southern setting, the dark plot, and horror just did something special for me. It's my number one. I think that's actually probably a good place to start with Michael McDowell. Like it's a very good story. At Dustin Can Read said The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is a good one. At Cozy Little Brown House says, Such a tough question, but I think I'd have to go with The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende, which I have read. It's a very good one. I, as you will see later, <laughs> do love a good multi-generational family saga story. I want to talk about one I don't think I've ever mentioned on the podcast, but that is Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. This is just historical fiction. It's about the last woman to be executed via the death penalty in Iceland. Agnes Magnus Dottir is charged with the murder of her master, and she is sentenced to live out the rest of her days with a family who lives in a rural area and has a farm. So she has to essentially help them out. And you get, you know, everyone's perspective. Like, they're not super stoked that you know, this convicted murderer has to be live on the farm with their family. And, you know, even though she is helping out, you know, that's not an ideal situation for them. Um, and we see that she receives visits from a priest, like he's kind of there to give her a, a kind of her last rites, but, you know, get essentially her spiritual affairs in order. And she, you know, opens up to him and the family over time and tells them her side of the story. And the farmer's wife and daughter learn that, you know, there might be more to the story than the one that's being told. And they learn a lot, you know, it's a lot about who gets to tell that story to begin with. And it's, uh, it was just the writing in it was so beautiful. And I listened to the audiobook and the, the performance that the narrator gave reading that audiobook just gave me chills. That is Burial Rights by Hannah Kent. And let's check in with some more listener favorites. At Baker Street Shelves says, My gut wants to say Frankenstein, which I think, solid choice. At Carrie underscore reads said, The Book Thief. And at Season of the Witch podcast listed, Jane Eyre. Possession by A.S. Byatt, Ariel by Plath, Handmaid's Tale, Alice in Wonderland, and Ozma of Oz. And then they commented again with Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, which is a solid list. Which is a very good list. Bit eclectic. I like it. Another book I've also never talked about on the podcast is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. What I like about this story is that I don't think I've ever read I was going to say a successful time loop novel. Honestly, I think this is the only time loop novel I've read. I'm I'm really trying to think if that's an accurate statement. So as far as far as I can remember, that is an accurate statement. But this follows our main character, Ursula Todd, who was born on a snowy February day in 1910. She grows and dies and meets many different fates. 
she lives full lifetimes. So, you know, sometimes you follow her and it always starts on the day that she's born. And, you know, she will die in one chapter and then the next page is like on a snowy February <laughs> and it starts all over again. But what I liked about this, what I think Kate Atkinson did really well is that she didn't tread familiar ground, you know, every time she like respawned you don't get the same perspective. So like, you know, one time you're following it and you get this third eye view. One time you're following it and you follow, you know, Ursula's mother and you follow, you know, the midwife that was there. So it it was different every single time. And it's fascinating to look and see how like she almost in a way learns from each life and you see her kind of making decisions and avoiding things that killed her in a previous life and you see that she's very much like destined for a specific purpose and you were trying to see her get to this purpose and I could not put this book down I highly recommend it if you are a fan of historical fiction and like yeah like I don't know how to describe it like a a World War II happy death day groundhog day type of story I just so good I also really liked the sequel, um, A God in Ruins. Totally a a bit different, a bit more sad, (laughs) but uh, interesting. Also playing with interesting concepts. And let's check in with more listener favorites. At Tales Point Horror Club commented, One Day by David Nichols, heart emoji. Stabby underscore penguin says, The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan heart emoji which the joy luck club is one i need to reread because it is 100 percent the type of story that i love and i remember really liking it uh but i think i need to reread i love those like multiple perspective types of stories so sarah's spooky reads said leaving las vegas by john o'brien i think i've read it at least 20 times in the horror genre it would be pet cemetery We have The Interestings by Meg Wallitzer, and this is about a group of teens at an affluent summer camp. The main character, Julie, or Jules, is there on scholarship because her dad just died, and everyone felt really sorry for her. Like, she's the only person there that doesn't come from money, but she gets in with this really popular group of people. They're ridiculously pretentious, and they, like, legitimately call themselves the interestings and they mean it ironically at first but like eye roll a lot of them are just they are still pretentious and eye rolly she gets in with this group of people and they all live in new york and she lives outside new york so they keep in touch after summer camp but um like at the summer camp she makes the decision to go by jules instead of julie and it's a lot about how her trying to fit in with this group of people the effect that that has on the trajectory of her life. You are following all of them in their adult life as they all kind of achieve greatness in their fields, which like in a sense, like, of course they were, they all came from money, came from connections, like were already destined to be these successful people. You're following Jules who, you know, does not have these things, does not come from money, does not come from connection and just like can't help but compare herself to these people and like kind of her toxic attachment to this group and the effect that it has on her life. I don't know. It's a fascinating 
story. And I'm a little mad because a few years ago, Amazon did a few pilots. I don't know if you remember this, but they did pilot episodes for like four different series and then they put them all on Prime and then people voted or they saw like which one got more traction, which one more people watched. And they had a pilot for the interestings. And I was so excited and it did not get chosen. I think instead they went with that um, Christina Ricci, like Zelda Fitzgerald series, which is fine. But I really, really wanted this series to be told anyway. Yeah, I think it was just a very well done character-based story, which I really liked. So that is The Interestings by Meg Walzer. And let's check in with more listener favorites. M. Bose 89 says, And then there were none, good omens, and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Shane 00021 says, The Bible. But second would be Nosferatu. Tate.Dixon underscore says, Moby Dick has been my favorite book for years. However, after listening to the extreme horror episode and read Exquisite Corpse, that is my new all-time favorite book. Wow, that's new. (laughs) That is quite the compliment. So Quincy from that episode did a good job on that recommendation. Knocked Moby Dick off someone's all-time favorites. I think that says something. I want to talk about two Kanai Minato stories because I think they're both just two of my favorite books. The first one is Confessions, and I have talked about this book a lot, so I won't spend too much time going into what it is. But essentially, it starts off with a teacher confronting her class about the death of her young daughter that was deemed accidental. Except as she is addressing her class, she lets them know that it was in fact not accidental she was murdered and she knows who did it and that person is in this class and she just drops a bomb and that's the first chapter that is the end of the first chapter and then from there it somehow finds a way to escalate like things just keep getting bigger and bigger and like toppling each other and it is just this snowball of revenge it is like revenge upon revenge upon revenge so if that is a story that sounds interesting to you I recommend it it is so much like fun it's just wild it is a wild story like that's what I tell people to expect when they pick it up like it is a wild time Her other story, tonally, very different. That is Penance. And this is about a group of teens who are hanging out um, in their park. They live in rural Japan. And a man approaches them, says he's a maintenance man, but he needs help. Like He needs someone who's small to do something. So he takes one of their friends and walks them down to the pool. And after a while, the the group of friends start to feel uncomfortable and they, you know, they feel worried and they go to the pool area where the man took their friend and they come across their friend's dead body. And at the start of the book, it is many years later and the girl's mother has called 
the girls that were there, so now adult women, she has called them all to her home and she is just grilling them about what they remember about that day. Like she accuses them of lying, of covering up because when they were all questioned, all of them said like they didn't know. They had never seen this man before. They couldn't identify him. They didn't remember what he looked like. And it's like like nothing came of it. They never caught this girl's murderer. And the mother is freaking out in present day because the statute of limitations is coming up on this murder and she needs closure. She needs to know who murdered her daughter. And so she is, you know, grilling essentially like the last people to have seen her daughter alive to see if there was anything that they were leaving out, anything that they remember. And we go through each woman and we see essentially how this incident has shaped the lives that they have lived and specifically the role that they played after they found the body. So like the girl that, you know, stayed with the body while some while they all, you know, went and called for help. Like she has very specific trauma to, you know, as a young girl sitting there, you know, next to her friend's dead body and what that does to a person. You know, we follow the girl who like ran and tried to find a police officer. Like she has very specific trauma to that incident. And you're just following all of these different characters and their very specific traumas to how they responded to this very traumatic incident. And I will say this for me, honestly, (laughs) and this is going to sound weird because it is my favorite book. It wasn't a five star read because I will say the actual murder case that we are following was not my favorite part of it. As you can see, my favorite part of it was following these women and what their lives were in response to this. That's what I was interested in. But there is, you know, definitely the whole other section about the murder investigation and trying to figure out what happened to this girl, which uh, I was a little more lukewarm on. But, you know, it was a part of the novel. Uh, So that is Penance. So Penance and Confessions, both by Kanae Minato. So good. So good. And let's check in with more listener favorites. Emma underscore Elizabeth underscore Edwards just commented, oh, God, the pressure. (laughs) Needs underscore attention underscore daily underscore says tie for 11-22-63 and the bone clocks. And I refuse to choose one, which is your right. You can put both. At Michelle's Melancholia says like water for chocolate. Como agua para chocolate by Laura Esquivel has been my favorite book since I was 15 and also Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro and hard to agree on both of those two great books and actually Never Let Me Go (laughs) is also one of my favorites just I don't even want to say too much about it if you haven't read Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro and if by some miracle it hasn't been ruined or spoiled for you just do yourself a favor and go read it it's very good and it's one of my favorites and it's also michelle's melancholia's favorite so listen to us we know what we're talking about also kazuo ishiguru's other novel the remains of the day if you want sad love stories about yearning and sadness also a good adaptation with anthony hopkins throwing that out there actually i also really liked the never let me go adaptation i mean i just don't want you to spoil the like i just don't want you to spoil it for yourself if you haven't read it but if you're not planning on reading it the adaptation is serviceable 
100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I think for the longest time, and I mean, possibly, I just haven't given too much thought to like dethroning this, but this would probably be my top, like top, top all time favorite book. And it follows 100 years of the Buendia family in Colombia. You are following several generations of people. Um, there is a family tree in the front, which I like you can listen to this on audiobook, but you are going to want a family tree that you can reference because throughout the generation, names get reused. Like I lose track of how many like Aurelianos we have, but it's a lot. And they all go on to kind of repeat similar behaviors throughout, you know, isolating themselves from their family, like hence 100 years of solitude and you know, this is the birth of magical realism as a tool to talk about the effects of colonization. And the writing in this is just gorgeous. I think it's the first time I read a book and I learned that you can fall in love with prose. This was that for me. Like the writing in this is just delicious. I collect versions of this when I travel, which is not a lot because that's expensive. I have a version in Spanish that I bought in Mexico and I have a German like mass market paperback um, that I bought at an outdoor book sale in Berlin when I was there. So I own three copies of this and it's something I would like to do if I travel internationally <laughs> more is to own more is to pick up a copy of 100 Years of Solitude when I visit a new country. So yeah, it is just oh, one of my favorites. There's talk that it was going to be adapted and I am very worried about how that's going to translate because this is magical realism, which means that, you know, there's a lot of magical or fantastical elements, but they are met with they are not met with shock or surprise like everyone is just accepting of these elements like you know there's a the whole town gets cursed and everyone has insomnia and everyone's like eh, of course this would happen like no one is shocked by this or ghosts like little things like that I love this book and I think this also sparked my love of like a family saga as like a literary device a like multi-generational stories like let's follow a family for you know three to you know seven generations and see how each new generation both differs from the previous generation but in their own way kind of repeats the same patterns and behaviors as those before them and you know what it takes to break whatever cycles whether good or bad um it's just so good <laughs> so yeah that is probably my like all-time favorite. Also, a new favorite is Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. And this was recommended to me by Laura, who's been on, you know, like the Office episode and the Enneagram episode and the episode about literary families. She had been telling me to read this book for a long time. And I read it and it became a favorite. She also told me to read My Dark Vanessa for a long time and it also became a favorite. So I think like she's a solid like two for two right now. <laughs> so we did talk about Geek Love in that Literary Families episode. But if you haven't listened to that, this follows the Banuski family, the Banuski parents. Uh, you try a lot of dangerous like drug cocktails and like 
really experiment with like drinking like radioactive isotopes and just like weird stuff to purposefully have children with deformities so that they can profit off of them in their you know traveling family carnival they obviously don't see this as a bad thing throughout the story like there's a big running theme of like no one wants to be normal like being normal is the worst possible thing that someone could be you know they justify this by like telling themselves that by doing this their children will always have a way to provide for themselves. They will always be able to make a living just by being themselves. And there are so many layers on this story. Like you are following one of the daughters as an adult, Olympia, who is albino. She's hunchback. She is a dwarf. And like she is looking back and telling this story of her family, obviously with very complicated feelings. Like these were her siblings. These were her parents. Like this traveling carnival was her whole child. Childhood. And, you know, now that she has to function in the real world outside of that, like what that means. And there's a whole modern day story going on. And it is just, I think, a modern masterpiece. This was written in the 80s. And I think it, I think, it, I mean, honestly, might be considered a modern classic. But if it is not, it definitely should be. But let's check in with more listener favorites. At Kaylee's Bookshelf says Kindred by Octavia Butler. And I need to read that. So far, I've only read Fledgling by her, which I did enjoy. Leah underscore B243 says The Phantom Tollbooth. It's technically a middle grade book, but I reread it regularly. It is so beautifully written. The imagery it conjures up is wild and the story is truly for any age. At Chance D. Weaver says... In the Valley of the Sun by Andy Davidson. Read it based off a recommendation on an episode from a couple years ago. That is a really good book. I think also a great recommendation for if someone's asking for like an underrated vampire novel. I think that would be, I think that is perfect. And I'm so glad you found it because of the show. That's awesome. I want to talk about How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent by Julia Alvarez. This is about the Garcia family who were uprooted from their family home in the Dominican Republic. You are following the Garcia sisters, Carla, Sandra, Yolanda, and Sofia. They arrive in New York City in 1960. And the story is told in 15 interconnected stories that are told in reverse chronological order. So you start in modern day. And then each story is told from a different perspective. So like one story is Carla, the next story is Sophia. And, you know, they, they go backwards in time. You know, something will be mentioned in one story and you will see kind of the start of that in the next story. I just, I think, have a soft spot one for <laughs> books that are written like this, that are told in a short story format, that are like interconnected short stories. Like, I think that's why... It is one of the reasons that I love Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones so much. I think just the coming of age part, the mosaic story, like the family dynamic, I think the experimental literary things that were going on just like really worked for me. But anyway, back to how the Garcia girls lost their accent. I think it has all of this and it's dealing with a family of four sisters trying to acclimate to living in the United States. And it's, you know, easier for some sisters than others, specifically Yolanda, who's kind of the the artist, like this outspoken feminist sister. And she actually gets her own novel later 
It's called Yo, Yo exclamation point, because that is her nickname. I loved the stories and following the sisters and the relationship that they have with their family, even as adults and how close they are. I thought it was just very sweet, but, um, you know, also, but also touched on, you know, issues that they had to face immigrating here and prejudices they had to face and just different situations for all of them all of them have very different personalities and had different struggles and opinions about you know moving to the U.S. and some of them had different feelings about you know the family and the lives that they left behind in the Dominican Republic and you know, some of them were older, so they knew more about why it was they had to leave and the kind of danger that their family was in. And you just get so much of that within these stories. And I just, I love it so much. <laughs> I feel like everyone I recommend it to, like, rates it three stars. And that's fine. But I just, I think this is one of those books that I had a really big personal connection to. I just related to so many of the stories and it's just one I think about a lot. So that is How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent by Julia Alvarez. And let's check in with more listener favorites. At Mrs. Sherman says, General is a Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. That story is dear to me because when I was a single mother to my first daughter, it kept me going. That's sweet. I always felt like it was the reminder that I could keep going. Horror fave is Dracula because, of course, it started it all for me. At Lost in Musicals commented, Dracula! Exclamation point. Ghost emoji. At Buffer Bueller says, Atonement. I feel like people are really into it or really not. And here's the thing with Atonement. I watched the movie. The movie is very good. Um, I think my thing is that it, it is a bummer of a story just all the way around. Just a bummer. And I was started reading the book and I'm like, this is really well written, but I know what I'm in for. <laughs> and I'm too sad. Too sad to even start this. I'm actually going to read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn as part of a big group buddy read in May. Uh, so I'm really excited to read that for the first time. And Dracula was also probably one of the first horror books that I ever read. And we are actually, my husband and I are reading it for the Patreon series. So if you're interested on in our thoughts on that, there they are. I had to talk about the Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. That is like a top three book for me. <laughs> Again, also a mosaic novel, also a novel told in short, like interconnected stories. They just, I love them. They just always work for me. Give me all the mosaic novels. It's about humans colonizing Mars and honestly just bringing the same problems to Mars. Um, in this book, when they get to Mars, there are like indigenous Martians that live there and the way that human colonization just pushed out the indigenous populations on Mars the way that they did like other indigenous populations that lived places. Hmm? Um, so it's told in little vignettes and uh, the writing in this is just absolutely fantastic and heartbreaking. Like I have a quote here. Listen to this. The rockets came like locusts, swarming and settling in blooms of rosy smoke. And from the rockets ran men with hammers in their hands, 
to beat the strange world into a shape that was familiar to the eye, to bludgeon away all the strangeness. Their mouths fringed with nails, so they resembled steel-toothed carnivores, spitting them into their swift hands as they hammered up frame cottages and scuttled over roofs with shingles to blot out the eerie stars and fit green shades to pull against the night. Which, number one, that is poetry. Number two, that essentially, like, I think sums up the, the thematic like, feel of this book, just like, you know, we get to Mars thinking that it's going to solve all the problems, but we really just bring all the problems that we caused on Earth. And we, you know, push out the people that live here just to make, you know, another little suburbia, just to make another little America there. I read it and it it blew me away. <laughs> so that is, yeah, one, like I said, a top three book for me. It is amazing. It is fantastic. Just chef's kiss the martian chronicles by ray bradbury and let's get back to more listener opinions at giant bookstacks said the heroine diaries by nikki six hands down at amanda underscore tolentino never let me go by kazuo ishiguru again listen to us that is three people now <laughs> at hawk 23 db said ready player one and at quincy bear 69 quincy quincy from the extreme horror episode says a little life by hanya yanagahara it's such a devastating read i don't recommend it lightly due to all the trigger warnings it had such a profound effect on me and i really did fall in love with all the characters i still think about the book every day and i get that ball of emotion in my throat Wow. And I know this is also a book that uh, my friend Laura also loves. So I think you guys are like book buddies, but you just don't know it yet. So yeah, a lot of solid picks here. I feel like it's been a while since I've talked about my favorite thing is monsters, but let's talk about it. My favorite thing is monsters, volume one by Emile Ferris. I hope that this year is the year that we get volume two. We shall see. <laughs> So this follows our main character, Karen Reyes, who's growing up in 1960s Chicago. She lives in an apartment with her mother and brother. And if I didn't, I forgot to mention at the top, this is a graphic novel. This is like a giant graphic novel. So in the story, her upstairs neighbor has been murdered, which is hard for Karen to process because Anka was always nice to Karen. So she decides that she is going to solve her murder. And in her investigation, air quotes, she learns a lot about Anka. Anka. She learns that she was a Holocaust survivor and she had a very rough life and upbringing. You know, there's a lot of change happening politically just where she lives. And we see Karen learn a lot about herself and her possible queerness and relationships and just weighty big things and life changes that she has to deal with. What you are reading is Karen's journal and it's in this like wide ruled line paper. And when she draws herself into these stories, she draws herself as a werewolf, but kind of like this noir werewolf detective, like she has a trench coat. She draws a lot of pulp horror magazine covers throughout. And we see that horror is something that she uses as a lens to view the world and herself and it was just I thought a very touching coming of age story. I could also mention House of Leaves by Mark Z. Daniel Lewski. You know it is one of those books that like everyone talks about and if you hate House of Leaves 
that's fine. I just feel like you're on either side of the fence with it. You either love it or hate it. I personally just had a great experience reading it. I would like to reread it someday, but I'm a little bit worried about how well it'll hold up. Um, it has multiple narratives. I personally loved the Navidson record, and I remember not caring too much for the Johnny Truant, you know, footnote story that was going on. And like, I don't know, that didn't ruin my experience. But, you know, he wasn't my favorite part of the story. Yeah, so I don't think I don't feel like I need to say too much about House of Leaves, but I guess I would consider it a favorite. And I am going to start wrapping up a bit here because uh, the thing with solo episodes is that my mouth gets really dry <laughs> and I get tired of talking. I really didn't spend any time talking about big horror favorites that I feel like I've mentioned a lot throughout the run of the show, like A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay, Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones, Let the Right One In by John Adita Lindquist, or The Last Days of Jack Sparks by Jason Arnoff. Like that's something I also consider a favorite and like Tender is the Flesh. I will be talking about it like I talked about Tender is the Flesh on the best of episodes and I will be talking about it on the next episode that drops. So you will hear me go on and on about Tender is the Flesh there. So let's check in with more listener favorites. At Marilyn1982 says, too many to name, so you're getting a list. That's fine. Historical, Geisha of Guyon, In Cold Blood, Children of the Flames. Fiction, The Book Thief, The Crying Tree, We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves. Horror, House of Leaves, The Stand, Books of Blood, The Wasp Factory, which was a solid list. At Will.InTheDesert says, Four-way tie between Nosferatu by Joe Hill, Finders Keepers by Stephen King, John Dies at the End by David Wong, and Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. At Garzinio says, Swan Song by Robert R. McCammon. Only book I've ever read twice. I'm just saying a lot. At Nat Ladie, and I'm so sorry if I have ruined and mispronounced your Instagram handle, anybody that I have mentioned, I apologize. Um, they say, can I count the whole Harry Potter series as one? If I had to choose, probably Lord of the Rings. It is a wonderful journey. My favorite horror book is It. I read them first when I was 12 and have read it several times. Now I skip over the one icky part, which I think is fair. <laughs> At Thriller Reader 787 says the Twilight series. And at Jobus 89 says, Mine is Pet Cemetery by King. People show up for the traditional horror and scares, but the real horror in the book is loss and grief. I've never read such an accurate description of grief before. That book speaks to my soul. And that sounds like a good enough place to end as any. Um, so Chilling Obsessions, the second season of Creep Show just finished wrapping up on Shudder. And I'll say I liked about half of the episodes. And I think the best episode was the season opener. I think especially as someone who lives in Pittsburgh, the second segment of the first episode was the best. It was just perfection. It was fun. It was campy. It was gory. It was just awesome. Something else I've been watching is Cruel Summer on Hulu. Um, there's three episodes out now. If you have cable, you can watch it on Freeform. I watch it the next day. 
on Hulu. I was trying to figure out a way to describe it, but I'm just going to read this synopsis. It's an unconventional thriller that takes place over three summers, 93, 94, and 95, in a small Texas town, when a beautiful, popular teen, Kate, is abducted and a seemingly unrelated girl, Jeanette, goes from being a sweet, awkward outlier to the most popular girl in town and, by 95, the most despised person in America. So, so far, it's very interesting. Um, So each episode kind of bounces back between the three different years and the three different points in Jeanette's life and what was going on. And um, you are following the same week in all three years. And it is, I'm hooked. I am always just absolute trash for teen shows. I will say this is a good, so far, very good teen show, but I will just automatically give (laughs) teen like murder mystery shows a chance always and this is just really working for me right now it's really good definitely check it out on hulu or on freeform if you have cable that's cruel summer and as for a final girl song i think i had to go back to my roots and tell you that when i was in middle school and i was starting to have an internet presence um, and I had you know an email address and you know I was in chat rooms and had like you know things I did online there was a band that I based my whole online personality around just unironically loved them with all of my heart and that was no doubt that Gwen Stefani led ska band uh from the 90s i loved them so much i had all their cds i was obsessed um i tried to get people to call me stefani um again another rebranding that did not work did not take which is fine looking back on it totally fine um so i figured i needed to honor young stephanie in this way and I feel like the obvious choice for a final girl song is just a girl. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to pick from the Tragic Kingdom album, the same album. I'm going with Sunday Morning because I like the ramp up and I like the light, light, ska, poppy feel of it. Um, so, yeah. That's what I'm going to go with. Sunday morning by No Doubt. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. I'm on TikTok now at Books in the Freezer. If you would like to follow me on there, that'd be cool. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There is a one, three, and a $5 level with all kinds of perks like early episode releases, boxer group chats, movie nights, bonus episodes. Um, You can check all that out on there. Um, Another way to support the podcast is by using our Amazon link. It will be in the show notes. So you just go on there and do your normal Amazon shopping like you would normally do. The latest purchase someone has made using the affiliate link is a box of band-aids for minor wound care. 
I was going to say, I hope those are put to good use, but on second hand, I don't. I hope you are okay and you don't need to use them, but I'm glad you're prepared. But you don't have to spend any money to support the podcast. You can spread the word about us on social media or something as simple as leaving a review on a site like Apple Podcasts is extremely helpful for small independent shows like this one. So a big thank you to all of you who have taken the time to do that already. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. I'm on Instagram at that's what she read and that's that's with two A's. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 